All right, it's the Storm Tracker Podcast. Marcus Benjamin with Frank Tucker here representing for CanesCounty.com. And sad day for Hurricanes fans. Miami takes a big L to the face, 45-3 to to Florida State. Not quite the game that we expected, Frank. I, I mean, I don't think anybody expected a, a, a blowout in this fashion. I would have predicted Miami losing if uh, Van Dyke, um, you know, if I knew that Van Dyke wasn't 100%, which he clearly wasn't. Tyler Van Dyke left the game uh, due to injury. Obviously, he wasn't 100% for this game. And Miami looked terrible. Uh, They looked bad out there. And this is one of the worst losses in series history, actually the second worst loss in series history. And for the third time this season, a Miami opponent puts 45 points on them on their home field. So it's it's just a terrible, a terrible, terrible week for, for Hurricanes fans. And before you go into, you know, how, how you felt about this uh, game, I just want to plug uh, the – Website, canescounty.com. Be sure to subscribe. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube page, Live from Canes County, as well. As well as follow us on SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and also Instagram and Twitter, Canes County, part of the Rivals Network. So, Frank, your thoughts on this debacle of a game? Complete and utter failure. We were kind of looking at the stats during the game, talking about it. They did whatever they wanted to throw in the football. Jordan Travis was basically perfect, but he had a 290 passer rating in this game. Rushing the football, they, they yeah, on 12 passes, they and that included an interception. Uh, they, they did whatever they wanted running the football. I think they had over 500 yards of offense. They kind of looked how we wanted Miami to look at – any point this season, it, it was unfortunate to watch. The defense didn't look good. Uh, even our strong points of the year, the Colby Youngs, the Leonard Taylors, the Daryl Jacksons, they made, you know, they had, they look good in moments, but just overall, it was a bad game for pretty much everybody. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't think you can really vouch for any preparation that went into this game. I don't think you can vouch for any of the talent that was in this game for Miami. Like, Everybody talks about there, there are 40-plus blue-chip kids on the roster. I, we haven't seen it yet. We haven't seen that blue-chip ratio come to fruition at any point this season. It, it's been tough to watch, just even in wins, right? We, we, we beat Virginia. We still don't score a touchdown. Josh Gaddis is on the field for eight quarters. They don't score a touchdown in any of those eight quarters. It, it's just been really rough to watch. There's been two different stretches this year where the offense – didn't score for like eight plus quarters. It's been bad. It's just been bad overall. And I think this is the ultimate, ultimate comparison to the season was this game. It was, it it was a reflection of what is Miami football right now and a a total argument for a total rebuild uh, that Mario Cristobal is bringing about is, is needed because you see the product on the field is just not there yet. Horrible, as I as I would uh, quote my my guy, um, I forget his name already, but uh, or terrible, 
Uh, oh, Charles <laughs> Barkley. Yeah. Uh, it, it was just, it was just bad, hard to watch. It was, just, I, I kind of checked out mentally uh, in this game at halftime uh, because. The, it, it was it was just a terrible game to watch overall. Miami hasn't scored a touchdown since Will Mallory scored a touchdown in the second half of the Duke game. So that kind of tells you all you need to know about how bad this offense has been. And Miami has now historically bad. And I don't think anyone saw this coming with uh, Cristobal's first, first season here. It's 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 terrible because there was so much hype coming into this season, and Cristobal, I do think we'll get this turned around, but we had no idea it was gonna be this bad, Frank. Like this is really bad to the point where I don't think the Hurricanes win another game this season, and if they don't win another game this season, that means. This is going to be the worst season since 1977 when they won three games. Uh, the last time the Hurricanes won five games, it was 2007. I believe that was Randy Shannon's first year as head coach. So for the rest of the season, it looks bleak. It looks bleak right now uh, because I just don't see another win on this schedule. I don't believe that they beat Georgia Tech. I think they get the blur, the doors blown off of them at Clemson. And I think they lose again at Pittsburgh because let's be honest, that stadium is not going to be anywhere near full. It's probably going to have maybe 20,000 fans. If that at that game, which would be sad for those seniors because it is senior day, but there won't be any energy in the building. There won't be any energy in the program. I don't think they, yeah, they, they'll take that one game at a time approach that they've been screaming all season. But that approach hasn't worked, Frank, that one game, that 1-0 and mentality uh, that they speak of. So the only thing that we really can be excited about or Hurricanes fans can be excited about is the recruiting class, which amazingly is still top 10 in the nation. So, Frank, uh, first off, your thoughts on the rest of the season. Will they win a game? Will they go bowling? I think they got a chance to win at least one of those games. I, I don't think you can make them a favorite in any of those games or expect to win. Georgia Tech's still not a good team. With They're, they're with an interim head coach. I know they've looked decent at times with the new staff, basically, but I still think Miami has the talent to compete in that game. Pittsburgh, it's the ACC. Uh, Pittsburgh could have a really down game. We've we've seen that from them at points this year as well. They've struggled. I don't think that they can be favored, like I said, but I still think there's a chance that they win a game. I still think there's a chance they can go bowling. If Tyler Mandyke gets healthy, which doesn't look like that's going to happen, I think they got a shot. It's going to be rough. It's going to be rough. It's going to be tough sledding going forward just because you have that Clemson game. You know they're going to be angry and trying to finish out the year strong after losing uh, yesterday. I hope that they win one. I hope they win one. I think that's where we're at right now is 
we hope. But to touch on the recruiting class, speaking to a lot of the kids last night, me and Gio were out there after the game. The kids are still positive about about the 2023 class. The 2024 kids still seem to, you know, see the forest instead of the trees. It's Jared Gibson was extremely positive, loved the environment. I think we can take a positive out of that. It it was an awesome environment pregame. The stadium is beautiful. We we still are in South Florida. These kids are going to be attracted to that. The NIL opportunities are still going to be there. We saw Ruiz is talking about bumping up the budget $5 million a year. It's just there's still some positives in recruiting. None of these kids seem to be wavering from their commitments in the 2023 class. Now, the problem with recruiting will be the Brandon Ennis's and the Mark Fletcher's of the world. Talking to them last night. They saw it kind of as a joke losing that badly to Florida State because Florida State isn't seen in the same isn't isn't seen in the same standing of Miami as a program as of right now, just because of the failures of the past three or four years for Florida State. So Brandon Ennis was kind of clowning Miami on Twitter, and I don't foresee a flip from him probably. I don't foresee a flip from Mark Fletcher. But you had Samson Okanlola who was still in really good spirits after the game. All the recruits were still together, mostly with 2023 commits. I still think you have a chance at a, tw- a top five class for 2023. You still have positive amazing. momentum. What, what was that? Which is amazing. Absolutely it, it amazing. Is amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> But I was saying this the other day. If you're going to have a bad season, you might as well go go all out, right? Have the worst season you possibly can. So these kids have an idea in their head. We get we can come in and play right away. Because if you win eight or nine games, you still have a base of talent on the roster that's probably going to be the starters for the next season. Right now, every spot is open on the roster except for maybe slot with Xavier Restrepo and the defensive tackles with Leonard Taylor and, and Daryl Jackson. Maybe Cam you know, Cam Kinchin's over the top probably as well. But outside of that, every single position on the roster should be open. Yeah. If you're if the depth chart should be com- completely cleared next season with if Samson Okanlola and Francis Malgo are still in the class, you're taking both of them plug and play in that. It, Robbie Robbie and Bob, I mean uh Robbie and Bobby should have a a chance to play right away at receiver and linebacker. Ray Ray should have a role immediately on special teams and in the offense, maybe not as a starter, but he should have a role as a big play threat, which we don't see that. We don't see big plays in this offense at all. We were laughing about it last night. Rooster gets in the game after transfer portal uh, rumors and busts the biggest run of the year. We, we had no 20-yard runs before that, really. So it's just been overall disappointing in the season, but there's still that silver lining with the potential top five class in 2023. Which is, again, just absolutely amazing that with this abysmal nightmare of a season that Miami is still in good – well, in good graces with these, with these recruits. I mean, uh, it's – I mean, I, I I always thought Brandon Ennis was kind of like, you know, kind of a long shot, and so was Mark Fletcher. Um, it, it would take a lot for them to kind of 
you know, flip from Ohio State, who currently sits at second in the college football playoff, while Miami is I don't I don't even know if they would be in the top 60 teams in, in, in FBS right now. So for them for them to still sell the vision of the program amidst all of this is is absolutely amazing. And that's and that's what you're going to see on KanesCounty.com for the most part for for the next couple of weeks, months. You're going to see a bunch of recruiting news uh, from from our team as a whole, because that's that's what is to get excited about. Right. That because this 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 season, it's a wash. Let's let's just call it what it is. It's a wash. I'm, I don't think fans really care if Miami goes to a bowl game. And if they do, they'll probably go into the Gasparilla Bowl and lose. Let's be honest, just like they, they have been losing bowl games in the past. But a, a lot can be said of why this is happening, though. So I do want to kind of talk about, like, why is this happening? Because the talent, I think is better than their record shows currently right now at four and five. So you could agree with that, right, Frank? Like the talent is they're better than four and five, right? Yeah, there's some talent there. We we talked about it last week that getting Jacoby George and Xavier Strepo back on top of Colby Young, you have a really good receiving core or starting group in the receiver room right there. It's that compares to a lot of places around the country. Those are three potential NFL guys. But my point is that they're better than four and five though, right? So, so if they are better than four and five, my logic tells me what, Frank, that the coaching is not coaching these guys to better than four and five. Right. I don't think it's a good fit right now with Josh Gaddis, even Frank Potts and the offense, which isn't to say that those guys are bad coaching. All right. And I don't know if they're doing a bad job preparing the kids. I think sometimes there's just not a good fit. You look at Dan Enos at Maryland. He's doing a pretty good job, but he was an awful fit at Miami. Sometimes. It's just not the right guy for that moment. They're probably going to have to go a different route at the offensive coordinator spot sooner than later. I don't think that the defensive coordinator position of Kevin Steele is in jeopardy at all, despite the three forty-five point showings that we've seen this season. Why not? Because the players on the defensive side of the ball, I don't feel are as talented as, as we thought they were coming in. Cornerback position is abysmal right now. That's why we're seeing a complete overhaul in the recruiting of of that of that room. The linebacker position is unathletic overall outside of Wesley Besaint. It's 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 rough. The defensive line is really the only positive. Cam Kitchens really the only positive. So so basically you're 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 backtracking then because then you're basically saying that this team's talent is not up to par it, it, on it, defense. I think it's two different teams. You got to almost look at it from the perspective of there's two different teams. The offense, there's enough talent to, to get by because we saw pretty much that entire group succeed under Rhett Lashley last season. 
there really hasn't been much that changed except for Zion Nelson being out for majority of this season. And I, I know a left tackle makes a huge impact in the offense, but not to the point where you are going almost two game stretches without scoring touchdowns. So that's an issue there on defense. We're, we've seen moments where the defense has been really stout, getting pressure on the quarterback, forcing turnovers, limiting passing games, limiting rushing attacks. So I don't want to put that all on the defensive coordinator. This is the same defense that completely failed under Manny Diaz. So talent wise, we're still getting a, a four and five level defense, but we have an offense that should be able to overcome that lack of true talent on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, okay. I mean, I, I think there needs to be some blame on, on the coaching as well. Um, because th th those big plays are our big plays, man. And, and <laughs> You know, I, I, I pointed this out in the, the press conference with Coach Steele on Monday, and he tried to, you know, fire back at me and trying to let me know that basically there weren't any big plays that were given up. But clearly there are plenty of big plays uh, given up. Last night we saw 45, 65 um, big-time plays uh, that happened. Coach Cristobal also said it in the press conference, said big plays were an issue. He said that himself. So when your head coach is saying it, then there's an issue. He did have positive things to say about Coach Gaddis. From what I gathered uh, from that press conference, I felt like he was more, maybe more aggravated with giving up the big plays than Coach Gaddis uh, and his offensive scheme. And the other thing, too, is that I, I think they kind of forced Tyler Van Dyke to play. And when you force your your top guy to play in the game when he's clearly not 100 percent, that's a bad message that you're sending to the uh, to the team as a whole and to the other quarterbacks. It's basically telling them, hey, well, we'll we'll roll out Tyler Van Dyke on a wheelchair, you know, before you know, we, we take a chance on, on you other guys. I mean, that's essentially the message that may be received there. Uh, but when you see what you saw from the backup quarterbacks last night, you kind of understand why they did it. Because Jake Garcia looked abysmal, abysmal. He had a negative quarterback rating and turned the ball over twice. And then you had Ja'Kari Brown, who struggled to throw the ball. It doesn't seem like he has a solid handle on the offense as of yet. Now, I did like what I saw from Jakar Brown when he ran the football. He's an outstanding athlete, and the sky's the limit for him. He definitely has the highest upside, you know, of uh, of the two quarterbacks because, you know, if, if he can, you know, get it together passing, passing the football and really reading defenses – I think he is the overall better prospect going forward. Now, the question is, is who are they even going to go with for this next game? Are they going to go with Jake Garcia or are they going to go with Jakari Brown? I think they should go with Jakari Brown, but I think they're going to end up going with Jake Garcia. 
I totally agree with you. We we saw even when Jakari Brown was in rhythm on our drive, they throw Jake Garcia in there and he throws a pick the very next play. And we were sitting there in the press box saying, why are they putting Jake in? What are we doing? So I don't think that they trust Jakari to, to throw the football like that. He, he right. brings a, a complete different dynamic to this offense running the ball. We actually, in the second half, ran the ball pretty well, over 100 yards, I believe, in the second half. And he's he's a huge reason for that. And I've been echoing the sentiment that Miami needs an athletic quarterback, a true dual threat to lead this offense go, going forward into the modern age of college football. And a guy like Jakari Brown could be that guy. But I don't know if they're going to do that. They, I don't know if they trust him enough with this offense, like you said. I wish they would just kind of punt on on the idea that you need a pocket passer like Jake Garcia to, to lead the offense. The passing attack has been anemic uh, since Tyler Van Dyke got hurt. And I don't think that changes just because Jake Garcia gets another another game. He, he looked awful at times yesterday. He had he was a huge reason he was awful the, the entire time, not at times. Yeah, <laughs> he was awful the entire time. Yeah. And then a couple weeks ago, we see he's a huge reason for the eight turnovers Miami Miami has last week against Virginia. He was missing wide open guys, just not being able to make the throws, not being able to evade pressure in the pocket, move the pocket. Even he's a mobile guy and we don't even really see him utilize those legs other than being scary. And yeah. I, it's, I think exact, that's exactly what it is. He's just scared. Obviously, he had a devastating ankle injury uh, last season, and I don't think he has the full confidence or courage to run as he should. Yeah, but there's obvious disappointment. Saw Josh Gaddis last night after the game going into the recruiting area, and he was just kind of saying to, to, to us, the recruiting guys, I don't know. He would just kept saying, like, I don't know how to fix it. I don't, I don't know. Oh, this is, what do I do? Like, what do we get? What do we got to do? What do we got to do? He was very, very uh, down after the game and defeated. Sounds defeated. Like. It just looked defeated. It just looked defeated. And I hope that they're able to turn this offense into a, just a power running, running attack that can kind of control clocks, uh, control field position and, and try to keep games close in the next yeah. three weeks. Uh, because that's the only way you're going to have a chance. Hopefully the defense makes some plays. Uh, Cam Kenshin's almost turned the momentum with that interception uh, that got reversed on an awful pass interference, I think by Tyreek Stevenson, where he didn't even have to grab the guy, just grabbed him for no reason. Yeah. So you hope, you hope that they go that route. I don't think they will. Yeah, the players do not fit the – the scheme. I think, I think Gaddis is operating as if he's still at Michigan or Alabama where, you know, the scheme would likely work if he had the personnel. And this is, this is not that. And it will be that in in a couple of years uh, based on what we're seeing in recruiting right now. But right now it's just, it's just not that. And I think that's why Gaddis is kind of dumbfounded here because he real pro- probably realizes that, you know, this scheme is just not working with these guys. And 
he probably has to, you know, create a whole different scheme or, you know, just take these last three L's to the face because that's, I don't, I don't see, there's nothing that tells me that Miami will win one of these three games. Nothing that tells me that Georgia tech, I think is a notch better than Virginia and Virginia tech and Miami barely got through those two games. And this is another one of those games on the road. And Georgia Tech, this is going to probably be their Super Bowl to beat Miami. Miami still still carries a name, so just beating Miami is a thing. And Jeff Sims, when healthy, their quarterback, has been pretty good. I mean, and he he uh, that he's been injured for the last not the last game he was he was in for the last game and they were able to come back and beat Virginia Tech. But the two games before that, he was injured. He wasn't in the game. So this. This team is actually a better team than what their record shows. So, unfortunately, I, I don't think they beat Georgia Tech. And like, like I said, Clemson is, you know, don't don't watch that game if you if you have any hopes of Miami scoring a touchdown. I mean, can we even score a touchdown, Frank? You know, because <laughs> they haven't scored a touchdown. I think what's the over under on Miami scoring a touchdown in the next game? You know, like. That it's that bad. It's that bad right now. And especially if Tyler Van Dyke's not going to play, which he's not going to play, you know, because he obviously re-aggravated his injury last night in the game. Shouldn't have been out there. So he's out, I think, for at least two weeks. Why throw him out there against Clemson? There's no reason to because he's he's likely going to injure himself again. Maybe he comes back for the last game. But I, I, I think his best – for him to sit for the rest of the season and just see what you got with Jake Garcia and Jakari Brown. Just make this a, basically an open quarterback competition between the two to see what you have for next season. I think that's the best thing for them to do. I think you you continue to play two quarterbacks, and I think Jake Garcia is probably going to play the majority of the snaps unless he, you know, has another negative QB rating outing like last night where every time he touches the ball, he's giving it to the other team. I think you have to play both guys just to see who you got. So next year, when you have those two guys and Tyler Van Dyke and your two uh, recruits, Emery Williams and Jaden Rashada, wow, that's going to be a fun <laughs> QB competition for the starting job because I don't think you know I think Tyler Van Dyke will probably have to win it this time and not just be given the job but that backup quarterback spot is up for grass for anyone at this point yeah totally agree with you and you're probably right TVD probably should sit for the rest of the year get healthy he's probably coming back Oh, He's no, not going no. to the NFL draft. It's not likely unless positive grades just start coming out of nowhere from, from a few teams. But it's it's rough. It's rough right now. You, you hope Gaddis can redeem himself with a, a nice stretch of three games. We've seen it at, at, you know, with the passing offense that he was able to kind of revamp it a little bit. Maybe he can do that with the run game. Maybe Mario and Maribel can take some influence into the offensive scheme and utilize some of the stuff that they did at Oregon. 
but just overall, it's it's rough. It's rough, and uh, I, I hope that this class sticks together, like the kids are saying. I hope they can start getting some recruiting momentum in 2024, and it's just going to be a lot of hope right now. Yeah, yeah, it is going to be a lot of hope. Where I mean, Chris Ball and his staff has been have been doing a great job when it comes to selling that hope. And to end this on a positive note, man, uh, the atmosphere, you touched on it a little bit earlier on this pod and it was, it was great. It was fantastic. It was like, wow. Okay. Yeah. This is, this is what happens when the city comes out and supports its team or because my, uh, the fans always come out for Florida state and, these other teams don't don't move the needle for your casual South Florida fan. What moves the needle is if Miami is ranked or if Miami's undefeated or Miami's in contention for uh, an ACC championship or or a national championship. And if that happens, they will come. Just like feel the dreams. If you build it, they will come. You know, so I think this whole conversation about you have to have a, a stadium close to campus um, and the atmosphere, whatnot. I, I think the the fans wouldn't show up if you're putting a, a four and eight team out there, even if the stadium is close to campus. All all that matters is winning. You win to play the game. I want winners. I'm going to throw out every every coach cliche out there. I mean, you win and and the fans will come. It was an amazing atmosphere. I saw even Reuben Bain uh, commented about the atmosphere. He talked about the atmosphere a couple of times in his recruiting process and how, you know, that does play a factor. So it can get there if Miami just wins. And I don't even think – they have to win 10 games. You know, they they just need to win like nine or just be competitive or just kind of be in the race, be in the hunt. Because right now they're an afterthought when it comes to college football. And when you're an afterthought in South Florida, other thoughts living here are going to creep into your brain. You're going to go, you know, to the beach or you're going to just watch it on TV, you know, in the comforts or confines of your own home. So the atmosphere I think was outstanding for one quarter last night. But after that, it was, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was uh, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of fans checked out at halftime. Let's just be honest. And and like I said, I kind of mentally checked out of this game at halftime because I kind of surrendered to the fact that this team this season is one of the worst seasons in Hurricanes history. It's it's definitely trending toward the worst season that I've ever witnessed. And I've been watching Hurricanes football, you could say, since 1989. And it's the worst season that I've seen. So, so I didn't know, though. Positive note, Alonzo Highsmith walked out to all the recruiting guys last night, and he asked us what time it was. We said 12.28. He goes, you're going to remember this exact moment two years from now, and this moment is going to be a defining moment 
in the history of this program. He goes, you, we, will, we will all be back here in this exact spot two years from now, and we are all going to sit back and laugh at where the program was and where it's going to be. So some positive from, from one of the GOATs. Uh, in the Hurricanes program, who's who's deeply involved. So, Yeah, deeply involved in recruiting because he sees the future. He sees the vision. And that's a great way to end this podcast because uh, y- y- we kind of do want to keep it positive with this team. And we'll, we'll continue to give you positive news as it, as it occurs here on canescounty.com, here on the Storm Tracker podcast. Uh, because that's all we'll, what we'll have to talk about because seven on seven and camp season is going to ramp up pretty soon. And that's when you get a bunch of news and that's when we get a lot of access to a lot of kids. It's just going to be a lot of information on canescounty.com and uh, subscribe if you haven't already. So that's going to do it for us here on the Storm Tracker podcast. Uh, until the next episode.